Forge family. Last time we were together, uh, we were looking at Paul's teaching to the churches of Asia Minor regarding a new God-given house law. Put that in quotes if you want. You won't find that in the scriptures, but it's so clear when you look at those passages in Ephesians 5 and 6. Okay? Pagan family life was hideous. Women were disposable. They were things. Husbands were free to continue their promiscuous lives. Children lived or died on a whim from their father. Paul, seeing the influence of the culture on the churches by Holy Spirit, steps in and declares the word of the Lord over, he starts with marriage, over marriage first. So that's what we looked at last week. Paul began with verse 21 of Ephesians 5, commanding each and every believer in the house churches to be submissive to one another in the fear of Christ. And the word for fear is to honor, to revere, to, to, to just have a sense of, whoa, that's so beyond me. Okay, The present tense imperative of be continually being submissive to one another set the stage for grace and honor in the churches and establish the grammatic anchor for, the following, uh, for what follows in the verses that deal with husbands and wives. So that is where marriage relationships begin with continually being submissive to one another. We began with the charge of, of uh, wives to be under the authority of your husband just as you're under the authority of Christ. The following ten verses speak loudly across the culture that husbands are to love and cherish their wives, treating them in the same way that they treat themselves. Husbands are to be head of the household under Christ in the application of the new, quote, house law, unquote. Most of the responsibilities Paul addresses were directed to husbands as head of the wife, as a servant leader in the home. The mystery of Christ and the church, his bride, is laid out in measure as the husbands are commanded to love their wives and the wives are called to respect honor and rightly fear their husbands just as they do Christ himself. So let's pray. Lord God, your plan from ages past to heal the breach between men and women brought on by the fall, that's still controversial today. Those who do not love you and serve you regard mutual submission as not worthy of mention or they can violently reject that. Thank you for the revelation from the scriptures on how we're to submit to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, family, open your Ephesians text to chapter 6, verse 1. Again, I don't see a chapter change here. You know, we recall, you know, the Greek text is all capital letters, no punctuation. And the argument, the presentation, the principles that he's talking about this house law, first he starts with marriage and then he shifts and he goes to parents and children, and then finally to masters and slaves. Okay? In beginning in verse 1, he says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. So Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 sort of double up on this, saying the same things, and it's obviously a command from the Lord God. Obviously, the honoring of father and mother are not the first commandment given. You know, the first commandment was what? 
Yeah, you love the Lord, okay? But this is the first commandment given with a promise, okay? Now, Paul does not use the word submit here. Rather, he uses the word obey regarding how children are to respond to their parents. Obey in Greek is a compound word which is cobbled together so with so a prefix called hoop, okay, which means under, and it's added to the word akuo, meaning to hear. And so to hear under it, when spoken in a situation where there is authority, you, you, you listen what's, to what's being spoken. Okay? Broadly, it means to obey, to hearken to a command, to submit. But submit is not strong enough to establish unquestionable compliance of a child to a parent. Now, Paul speaks, uh, it is uh, children who we always, you know, be always a parent, uh, obedient to your parents in the Lord. Now, here from the youngest age, children can and do understand that they know and, and uh, who the Lord is and they, they move to obey the Lord. And as they do, they begin to be always obedient to dad and mom. In the last decades, the statement, quote, uh, quote, children do not receive a junior Holy Spirit has been uh, understood, embraced, and practiced. More and more, we see children displaying the gifts of the Spirit of God and being filled up for ministry to others because they realize that all those things begin at home. Children get the full filling of Holy Spirit when they cry out for Him. And it is Holy Spirit that empowers obedience Parents cannot rely on because I said so. Or, you know our rules in this house. Willing, joyful obedience flows from Holy Spirit. Obedience is buttressed by the statement that in the text here. It says, it's right. Now, it was right in Paul's day, and it's right in ours. Colossians 3.20 also adds on the business of obedience is pleasing to the Lord. So, children, feel the pleasure of obedience to mom and dad. The honoring of father and mother includes obedience to their house rules, okay, and instructions, but the manner of obedience is critical. There's an oft-repeated story of a, young, of a little boy that defied his teacher, and her response was to sit him in a corner facing the wall. And he's mumbling between his teeth saying, I'm sitting down, but inside I'm standing up. Okay? So, the attitude with which obedience is carried out counts before the Lord, and it counts before dad and mom. Paul quotes back the passage in the Ten Commandments of Exodus 20 regarding the promise of well-being and long life in return for the honor given to dad's leadership and to mom's nurturing care. Verse 4 in chapter 6 is directed to in the scriptures and in the house law, if you will, to fathers. Now, right there, Paul cuts across the culture. For husbands had no responsibility for the care and raising of children in pagan cultures. That was women's stuff. You know, men were totally free from that. And it was a mess. The Holy Spirit through Paul reverses that to establish a godly pattern in the home. Headship seen as servant leadership rather than ruling dominating, demanding, is where Paul aims. 
quote, and fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, this is the passing of a holy mantle onto dad's shoulders. Where previously in the cultures of Asia Minor, discipline of children could be savage or unto death. Here, the house law states that fathers are not to anger, exasperate, irritate, cause uh, you know, the children to be provoked you know, with harsh words and blows. That abusive treatment sets up a child to defy parental command rather than make them ready to obey and honor. Yes, there's times when fathers must discipline children, but you know, that, that's to bring them into a relationship that's right with the Lord first and right it with mom and dad at home. And that's very different than punishment. Those are two different things. Okay? The former falls into the pattern of the Lord to bring up sons and daughters. And the sense of the command is that fathers bring up, nourish up to maturity, and nurture their children. Well, we align those terms with what moms do. But here, Paul says it is the responsibility over the children that falls on fathers. Mom may be doing the work, but dad is responsible for what is happening in the home. And as needed, steps in. Okay? Paul has addressed the, quote, house law, unquote, to husbands and wives, then to parents and children, and now Paul begins to reach out toward that third category of believers that are sitting on the floors of the house churches all across, in Ephesus and all across Asia Minor. There were many slaves who were among the churches. There are 60-some, excuse me, there's some 60 million slaves across the Roman Empire. And in the cities of Rome and Ephesus, at least a third of the population was made up of slaves. Roman citizens of some wealth, Greek citizens, you know, Greek people of, of some wealth, felt it way beneath them to work. So slaves were bought. They were acquired for their training and their skills and their rec- the recommendations came with them, or they were, they were bought to be trained to handle banking, correspondence, shopping, child tutoring, cooking, cleaning, laundry, serving owners and guests at meals, and accompanying the owners as bodyguards. That is a mere taste of what slave assignments were in the ancient world. Most male slaves in the empire became freemen by the age of 30. It was not a lifelong, oh my gosh, I'm going to die, just digging in the ground back here. Okay, Most uh, masters gave the freedom to their slaves to run a tab for themselves where they could buy and trade and make profit. They could deal in slaves. that They could handpick a slave out of the market to bring into the household knowing that one there is going to work in our home. That one over there is nothing but trouble. <clears throat> and they also became highly skilled. So upon manumission, or when they bought their freedom, they had a skill. They could go into the market, open a shop, and, and make a living. Okay. Now the slavery in the Pauline era, the time of Paul, was very different from slavery in the New World. It had nothing to do with race. Okay. Today, it's estimated that there are 27 million slaves spread across the world today. Most of them 
are factory workers, agricultural workers, house workers, and sex workers. Paul does not speak or write about slave problems. Rather, in this and other passages, he urges those who know Jesus, the slaves who are born again, to serve their masters that they might become prized by the master and the Lord. Verses 5 and 6 opens the house law for slaves. It says, Slaves, be obedient to those that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not by way of eye service or man-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Now Paul says that those believers who were owned by masters were to labor for their owners as unto Christ. With the same fear and trouble. I'm not sure I understand. (laughs) My watch. (laughs) The same fear and trouble, the same wholeheartedness with with which they they honored Christ. And they were to be constantly obedient. The Hebrew National Sausage Company has as its logo, across its logo, a slogan, we answer to a higher authority. So, too, were the slaves to serve so as to answer to the Lord for the service to their masters. Now, Paul just finished a do this teaching, and now he starts on a don't do this in verse 6. The believing slaves were not to serve in such a manner that they walked, they worked hard when the master was present and watching them, only to slack off when he was off campus, so to speak. <clears throat> that matches Paul's compound word, I service. In other words, I work while I'm being watched. And it is followed by the word man-pleaser, of which our own sort of gutter vernacular might use the words suck-up to the boss. These believing slaves, referred here as bondservants of the Lord, that was a commitment for life to serve Jesus, were to be excellent employees, doing the will of the Lord from their soul, not shifty slaves who just wanted praise and promotion. Verses 7 and 8, Paul has, he's hammering down the lid on the house law for slaves. Quote, with good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Now here the apostle recognizes that many slaves have been able to buy their freedom out of the returns on their private accounts and became freemen. Now some of them went right out of the marketplace and opened up a business and and you know they became uh, entrepreneurs, but some were so valuable to the master that they became paid employees in that house for life. Both slave and free sat together in the house churches. Therefore, the house law addresses slave and free as they relate to the masters. <clears throat> Here, the Lord extends the possibility of reward, both spiritual and physical, to slaves who choose masters, who serve masters, excuse me, as if they were serving Christ himself. The term goodwill is crucial. It's right choices, right attitude, and right countenance. See, it's going to show up in your face, family. Okay? I'm doing the right thing. You know, it's going to show up on your face. Finally, Paul turns to the masters, the slave owners, 
sitting in the congregations as new believers. Their role on the street does not transfer over into any kind of, of thing in the in house church hierarchy. What matters is, are the masters following Jesus with all their hearts? Certainly it was somewhat awkward to have your slaves sitting there as your teacher in the church. Okay? That is where verse 21 of chapter 5 re-enters the scene. That each and every believer be submissive one to another in the fear of Christ. And the church's slaves might have different roles than they do on the homestead, in the warehouse, aboard the ship, in the marketplace, etc. for their masters. Now in church, they submit one to another as to Christ. Now the masters here get a dose of the same house law. And it says, and quote, masters... Do the same thing to them. So Paul doesn't bother me to write it, write it up. Okay? What he's saying is, all I said to the slaves, for you too. And give up threatening, knowing that both the master and ours, their master and ours, are in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. Now recall the commands to the slaves. Be being obedient. Well, who's the master obedient to? To Jesus. Okay? Live out your life with fear and trembling. I'm, I'm answering to a higher authority here, all of a sudden. In, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, with good will, render ownership, oversight, management, etc. By doing the will of God. And then we get to the phrase, and give up threatening. Okay, so it's well known that the threat was a management tool. Okay? And it's still a management tool. <laughs> okay? <clears throat> but at that time, it was used by masters to motivate by means of fear. So what kinds of threats were being tossed around? No food for you. You know, which means tomorrow I'm going to be dragging myself around because I, I don't want any food. I just, you get cut off. Okay? Beatings. Castration threat to have the slave's family to be sold on to violent men, etc. Okay? It's not uncommon that when a slave got out of line or violated or made a bad mistake, there was a downgrading of their assignment in the homestead. And it might sound something like, Ralph, you are now assigned to sleep with the pigs and clean out latrines. While the state of a slave during the Pauline era was far better than a hundred years previous Many, um, you know, many previous, you know, you can read the history. A hundred years before Paul, if you, you know, the Augustus Caesar, I think it was, um, crucified a slave because he killed a pet quail. Okay, things like that, just, just off the wall, crazy stuff that was done to slaves. <clears throat> While the state of a slave during the Pauline era was far better than 100 years previous, being owned meant hard labor, exacting obedience, and performance with a servant attitude. When you place a Christian master in the mix, managing as unto the Lord, the whole picture changes. Okay? All right, family, the marriage and parenting parts of the house law have been used and are intact today. The slave master parts have faded into history in our nation. But being an employee calls you to the same standards as those for slaves. 
with goodwill, not with eye service, not as a man pleaser. Likewise, as an employer, sub-manager, whatever, the boss on the job, okay? The principles of scripture stand. In the ancient world, Christian slaves who served as unto the Lord were highly valued. They were honest and they were trustworthy by Holy Spirit. Those values in today's woke businesses are not valued, but rather condemned. Okay? Being a godly employee today is really difficult in some situations. Nevertheless, we're commanded to be obedient, of goodwill, living out employment life as unto the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God of parent and child, Lord God of God, a master and slave, Lord God of employer and employee, we all answer to you. Give us wisdom and empower us by Holy Spirit for whatever season of life we're in, whether as a child, as a parent, as an employee or an employer, we need your presence, Holy Spirit. You are the protector and provider, and we would honor and obey you and keep the house law that you set in place to bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.